0: Section six of Letters from Victorian Pioneers. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Letters from Victorian Pioneers. Letter number six from David Fisher. Roslyn, Geelong, September twenty first, eighteen fifty three. May it please Your Excellency. I have to apologize for my apparent delay in replying to Your Excellency's circular of 29th July, requesting information upon the subject of the first settlement of Port Philip, now the colony of Victoria. In this my reply, I have the honor to state that my remarks upon this subject will be confined to matters in which I was personally concerned, or what came under my own observation. In the year 1835 I was a resident of Van Diemen's Land, when the rumor of this fertile land reached that place, and induced many of my fellow colonists to make a voyage to spy out the land. Their report being favorable to Port Phillip as a grazing land, a number of persons formed themselves into a company under the style of the Van Diemen's Land Association, who, with some sheep, started for Port Phillip. With this party were the Misters J. and H. Batman and J. Faulkner. Mr. J. Batman and Mr. J. Faulkner settled at Doutagala, now Melbourne, while Mr. H. Batman returned, and by his flattering accounts I was induced to forward to Port Phillip a flock of 750 sheep, with six freedmen as shepherds, under the charge of Robert Moody, Esquire, in the ship Adelaide. Mr. Moody, having settled the flock with the shepherds, returned, and again sailed in the Norval, with five hundred sheep and five shepherds. And on the next voyage, of the same vessel, I sent eleven hundred sheep and seven men. On this voyage they encountered a heavy gale, and were compelled to run into what is now called Western Port, where it was deemed necessary to land the sheep, and in doing so my good friend Moody lost his life by the upsetting of the boat in a heavy surge between the ship and the shore. With the exception of seventy-five sheep which were recovered, this large flock became a prey to the natives and native dogs. On this voyage, Messrs. Gellibrand, W. Robertson, and one or two other gentlemen visited Port Phillip. On their return I was made acquainted with the melancholy loss of my friend Mr. Moody, and then set about making arrangements to come over myself, and took my passage in the ship Caledonia, having Mr. Strachan, Anstey, Gattenby, G. Russell, Dr. Thompson and a few others for fellow passengers. We landed, after a pleasant voyage, at what is now called Williamstown, where Dr. Thompson pitched his tent, the others proceeding to Dowda Gala, Melbourne. Here we found a house of entertainment where we could not get entertained. This building was of turf or sods, with a portion of wood, and comprised six apartments of a very primitive order, occupied by Johnny Faulkner as a public-house, and was, of course, the Royal Hotel, it being the first and then only public-house in the district of Port Phillip. Here we could get a glass of bad rum and plenty of water by paying a good price for the same, but we could get nothing to eat nor a place to sleep in. This celebrated hotel stood on the site now occupied by the Custom House in Flinders Lane or Street. mister Batman, having built himself a hut about the spot where the Clarendon Hotel now stands, hospitably invited us to share his home, for which we were exceedingly grateful, and dined, supped, and next morning breakfasted, on a schnapper-fish and damper, our host being a bit of a fisherman as well as occupying the proud situation of High Constable having been appointed by the Van Diemen's Land Association, under whose auspices Mr. Batman was thus the first and then the only man who wielded the baton of authority. The mansion-house was a mud hut about twenty feet long and twelve feet broad, the one side of which was occupied by the family of our host, whilst our party, consisting of Dr. Cotter, Messrs. Anstey, Mager, Gattenby, G. Russell, my working overseer Ferguson, and myself, seven in number, Pigged on the other side in the best manner we could, and were thankful for the shelter. On the following day we got our luggage, provisions, etc., from the ship, and on the next day we started to find our way to Western Port, in hope of recovering the remains of my lamented friend Mr. Moody. We took an Aboriginal for our guide, but he, being of a tribe near Sydney, was little acquainted with the Port Phillip district, and consequently no more use to us than to afford us a good deal of amusement by the antic manner in which he managed to roll himself over the soft mud creeks. On coming to a large creek or river which we could not ford, and not being over-sure of our course, we considered it prudent to retrace our steps. Having spent two days and slept two nights in the bush, we were again grateful for the shade of friend Batman's hut at Dowdagala, Gala, Melbourne. Where we were again, hospitably received, and availed ourselves of our host's kindness for two days by way of resting. We then started for the western district, some of my men having taken up a station on the river Werribee. Having found matters there to my satisfaction, we made our way downwards to the junction with the Barwon, which we followed to the station, which had just been taken up, by Messrs Cowie and Stead, on the ground afterwards the race-course, now a cultivated farm, the property of Joseph Griffin, and known as the old race-course. Here we were kindly received, and passed the night. On the next morning we started for indented head, which had also been taken up by my men as a station. Here I found two of my men were missing, and was informed that they had been killed by the natives. Having seen the stock, etc., all correct, we spent five days searching for the remains of the poor fellows without success. About twelve months afterwards, their bones were pointed out to me by an old Aboriginal named Woolmergan, who described the manner in which they met their deaths as follows. The men were on their way, with a pack bullock, laden with provisions for the Werribee Station, and were met by a tribe of Aborigines near the Muradoc Hill. The men were both armed with fowling pieces, which caused the wary tribe to entrap them by a stratagem thus. By persuading one that he could shoot an emu, they got him to accompany a portion of their party to the one side of the hill, whilst, under the pretense of having shot at a kangaroo, they prevailed upon the other to go in a contrary direction. Having thus managed to separate the men, the latter became an easy prey to these heartless savages, who also killed the bullock, and made themselves masters of a plentiful supply of provisions, and all the property in possession of their unfortunate victims. I had their bones gathered together and decently interred. After resting a day we took a tour into the bush, following the course of the Barwin River to the sea, and much enjoying the romantic and picturesque scenery, particularly the Lake Conawera. Returning by an angle across the country, we made Corio, Geelong, where we were struck with the magnificent scene which burst upon our view as we reached the rise, now the center of the town, known as Church Hill. The splendor and magnitude of Corio Bay, the gentle rise from the bay to where we stood, about three-quarters of a mile, and the like gentle fall to the river Barwin. The Yu Yangs, Station Peak, the Barabool Hills, with all the varied scenery of hill and vale around, clothed in the beautiful verdure of nature, seemed to proclaim this spot as the site of a great mercantile city. Lost in contemplation, we were overtaken by night and had the satisfaction of finding the shelter of a gum-tree near the place now called La Trobe Terrace. Here we camped for the night. Next morning we made Messrs Cowie and Steads, where we were entertained with a comfortable breakfast, and likewise got our provision-bags replenished. We then crossed the Moorabool River, and afterwards the bar went at the place now known as Pollock's Ford. We tethered our horses in the valley and walked to the top of Mount Morier, from which elevated spot we had a beautiful prospect of this delightful district and with the assistance of a good telescope we were able to trace the various windings of the rivers Lee and Barwin. Also from this mount we had another view of beautiful Corio and its lovely bay. In imagination we could picture a splendid city with the bay covered with ships of all nations, which fancies I have lived to see in part realized. This year, 1853, whilst yet under our first governor, a commencement has been made, to remove the only impediment to the navigation of the bay. The town has been beautified by the erection of many elegant buildings, both public and private, and many more have been projected, some hastening to completion, whilst we have also had the pleasure of seeing the foundation stone of the first railway in the colony of Victoria laid in Geelong. Having thus far digressed from my subject, I must return to Mount Moriae, where, Having taken our bearings, we descended to where we left our horses, and there we encamped for the night, and next morning started across the country and made the river Lee at its junction with the Barwon, where I afterwards formed my home station. We then followed up the Lee River for about six miles to the place where Mr. Russell's station now is. Here we crossed the country in a direct line towards the Anaki Hills until we came to the Moorabool River, where we halted for the night. In the morning we ascended the highest of these hills, from which we had a most magnificent view of nearly all the hills, valleys, creeks, and rivers comprised within that portion of the country, now the county of Grant. We then proceeded to Station Peak, where our view was extended over the waters of Port Phillip to the mountains on the opposite shore. From thence we took our course to the Werribee station, which we reached with much difficulty, and next morning we started for Dudegala, Melbourne, intending to return to Van Diemen's land, but finding that our ship had sailed, we had to content ourselves until her return. To fill up this time, we employed ourselves in building a house for Dr. Thompson near the spot now occupied by St. Paul's Church. In this we were engaged about three weeks— and our vessel having returned, we took our passage to Van Diemen's Land, with the full determination of returning to Port Phillip, having all been greatly delighted with this beautiful country. Being now satisfied that sheep farming would prove a profitable speculation in the new land, as Port Phillip was then called in Van Diemen's Land, we entered into a co-partnership to carry it out extensively. In this we were joined by Messrs Swanston, Mercer, and Learmonth, and purchased up the shares and interests of the Van Diemen's Land Association. We took the style and title of the Derwent Company. In the latter end of the year, 1836, I returned to Port Phillip for the purpose of forming the different stations, afterwards occupied by the Derwent Company, and pitched my tent at the south side of Geelong, on the north bank of the Barwon River, near where a bridge was afterwards built, communicating with the western district. Here I built the first house in Geelong worthy of the name. It is built of weather-boards of Van Diemen's Land timber which house yet stands, and is still rather an ornament to what is now called Barwon Terrace. In this house I had the honor of receiving His Excellency Sir Richard Bork, who had come hither to spy out the nakedness of the land, and with his suite encamped on the banks of the Barwon next to my house. It is worthy of remark that on the night of Sir Richard Bork's arrival the district was visited by an earthquake, the shock of which was felt all over the district. Such a phenomenon has never occurred since that time, but I was informed by a very old native, King Muradoc, that such had been felt before, but it was long, long ago. In the month of September, 1837, having finished my house and got all things comfortable for the reception of my family, I proceeded to Van Diemen's Land to bring them over, taking my passage by the James Watt, the first steam vessel that visited these shores. In the month of March following, 1838, I returned with my family, and having got them settled at Barwin Terrace I proceeded to inspect the stations already formed, and also formed new stations at Mount Mercer and the Ward of and then, accompanied by Major Mercer, Mr. George Mercer, and our overseer named Anderson, started upon an exploring expedition to the interior, on which occasion we formed the station at Mount Shadwell, which was the farthest out station from Geelong on the eastward of Portland. During this tour I undertook a new occupation. Major Mercer and myself being occupied in shaving, which operation being observed by some of the natives afforded them much amusement, and one of them signifying a desire to be trimmed, I undertook the task, which I accomplished amidst the yells, shouts, and laughter of some fifty savages with their lubras, who enjoyed the affair very much, and thus I believe myself to be the first that shaved an aboriginal of New Holland, and that aboriginal the first that was shaved. Nor do I think he ever was shaved again, for his beard was very hard, and the razor none of the best, rendering the operation anything but pleasant, and I much doubt if he would ever again submit to the ordeal. This was nigh being my last joke, as soon after, Major Mercer's servant, in taking a loaded piece from the luggage, by some means caught the trigger upon something, which caused the piece to explode, the ball passing under the Major's arm, striking a tin pannikin out of which I was drinking, and carrying it clean from my hand. The full details of this tour were kept by Mr. George Mercer, a copy of whose journal I beg to annex for Your Excellency's information. From this time settlers were pouring into the district from Van Diemen's land and New South Wales with their flocks and herds, and the land began to get peopled by mechanics and tradesmen. Stores sprung up in every quarter, and the whole country began to wear the aspect of prosperity. I here conclude this poor but correct account of what came within my own knowledge, and I feel assured that in most parts it will be corroborated by others, more able for the task than I am, in their returns to Your Excellency's circular. But should there be any particular transaction upon which Your Excellency may think I can afford further information, I shall be most happy to furnish the same to the best of my ability. I have the honor to be Your Excellency's most obedient servant, David Fisher." His Excellency C.J. Latrobe, Esquire. Mr. George Mercer's journal of a tour into the interior of the Port Phillip District in the year 1838. First day, 22nd March, 1838. Started from the wardy Yallowack S.W. to Elephant Hill, 22 miles through Tea Tree Scrub. Second day, 23rd March. Course, south to Manifolds Creek on the Saltwater Lake, 23 miles. Third day, 25th March. Course west to Mount Appin, twelve miles tea tree scrub. Bearings: first Mount Marathon, northwest half north; second Mount Elephant, northeast by north; third Warrian Hills, east; fourth Mount Kate, southwest; fifth Mount Mary, north. Fourth day, twenty eighth March, northwest one half north to Mount Marathon, about twelve miles. Bearings from Mount Marathon, first, Mount George, west by north, second, Mount Janfron, west, third, Mount William, Grampians, northwest. Fifth day, first of April, course, west by north to Freshwater Creek, 15 miles. Sixth day, second April, course, west by north to Mount George, 12 miles, no water. Bearings from Mount George, first, Mount Janfrone west, second, Mount Alexander, supposed, northeast by north. Third, west end of Grampians due north. Fourth, east end of Grampians, northeast by north. Fifth, Mount William, north northeast, supposed. Sixth, distant hill east by north. Seventh day, third April. Course about north northwest to native well, twelve miles, brackish water. 8th day, 4th April. Course to southeast end of Grampians to River, 12 miles. Bearings from southeast hill Grampians. 1st. Mount Alexander, supposed, east by north. 2nd. Mount Elephant, east by south. 3rd. Distant range of hills, supposed to be the Victoria, northwest. Ninth day, 5th of April. Course, northeast about 10 or 12 miles, no water. 10th day, 6th April, course, Northeast to native well near the hill, 10 miles, good water but little. Eleventh day, 7th April, course, northeast to creek near hill, Pyrenees, 3 miles. Twelfth day, 8th April, course, about east-northeast, to near the further end of the supposed Pyrenees, 15 miles, no water. Thirteenth day, ninth April, course, for about 6 miles east by south, for other 5 miles southwest by west, Two miles southeast, distance direct about six miles east by south, a little rain water. Fourteenth day, tenth April, course south southeast to bottom of low tiers, twelve miles, no water, crossed river and passed Stony Hill. Bearings from Stony Hill. First, Mount Elephant, south by west, second, Mount Marathon, supposed, southwest, half west, third, Mount George, supposed, southwest, fourth, end of Grampians, west by south. 15th day, 11th April. Course, east-southeast to creek. Crossed tier and thick scrub. Much time lost in cutting round for the cattle. Distance, 12 miles. 16th day, 12th April. Halted this day. 17th day, 13th April, 1838. Course, southeast to creek, 5 miles beyond our wardy Yallowick station, now Mr. McMillan's. Good water. Distance, 13 miles. 18th day, 14th April. Course about southeast to station at the Barwon. Distance to the weatherboard house 25 miles. D. Fisher. End of section 6.